You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by the new CSB Men of Character Bible. I just want to say a quick word about the CSB translation. I've come to really enjoy it and uh, use it in my preaching and my personal devotional time. I love both its accuracy, but also the readability, uh, particularly as you go through the Old Testament. Well, this new Men of Character Bible, uh, CSB Men of Character Bible, is uh, edited by renowned Bible teacher, Dr. Gene Getz. And uh, he guides men through scripture by exploring the lives of men of character uh, found throughout the Bible. If you have a man in your life that you'd like to get a new study Bible, maybe a good gift ahead of a Father's Day, this would be a great gift. It is full of character profiles of some of the most worthy examples of godly character in scripture, of biblical figures who brought leadership, wisdom, and inspiration uh, to God's people. Each of these men faced trials, frustrations, and even failure, and yet were empowered by God to persevere and achieve great things for his glory. Uh, This would be a great gift for the man in your life, the CSB Men of Character Bible. If you go to lifeway.com during the month of May, you can get it for 40% off, which is a great discount. So go to lifeway.com and get the Men of Character Bible at 40% off. We want to thank the good friends at the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, for sponsoring this episode of The Way Home. Hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. I am Dan Darling. And I am so glad that you've joined me today for what I think is going to be a really good conversation with uh, two pastors, uh, Scotty Smith and Russ Masterson. Uh, Scotty Smith is well known. He is a very encouraging voice, uh, a mentor to a lot of pastors. He's founding pastor and pastor emeritus at Christ Community Church here in Nashville. He's also a teacher in residence at uh, West End Community Church here in town. And then Russ Masterson is the founding and senior pastor of Christ the Redeemer Church in Marietta, Georgia, near Atlanta. And uh, they are uh, have come on because I wanted to talk to some folks about just the pressure and the burden on pastors in this season. We've had about 14, maybe 16 months that have been some of the most intense times for pastors and leaders. So many decisions to make in terms of how to handle COVID. People are mad at you because you're too cautious. People are mad at you because they don't think you're cautious enough. How to talk about racial tension, how to talk about a divisive political election that uh, is behind us in 2020, and a myriad of other things. And this takes a toll on leaders when you're constantly faced with some of these things. And so uh, Russ and uh, Scotty Smith are here to tell us how pastors can find hope and comfort and strength in the Lord and how that can guide their ministry and guide their lives. They have a great new book that uh, is called Searching for Grace. And I love this subtitle. It's A Weary Leader, A Wise Mentor, and Seven Healing Conversations for a Parched Soul. Scotty Smith has been a mentor Uh, to a lot of young pastors, a real encouragement. If you talk to pastors here in the Nashville area, you'll hear all of them say how much he has encouraged them in one form or another throughout their ministries here. If you're a pastor, if you're on a pastoral staff, or even if you're just a lay person in your church, I think you need to hear this about how 
you can be encouraged and refreshed in the Lord and refreshed in what God has called you to do. Before we begin our conversation, I just want to tell you about a special offer. As you know, I am Senior Vice President here at NRB, which is an association of Christian communicators, and we are excited for our uh, convention, which is in June, June 21st to the 24th. Uh, it's the largest assembly of really anyone doing anything in Christian media from broadcast, radio, television, think of radio, Christian radio, Christian television, all the way to uh, digital ministry, uh, film. If you uh, work in communications for a Christian ministry that produces content of any, of any kind, whether it's broadcast content or digital content, or if you're in a ministry that kind of services these kind of uh, ministries, marketing, PR. Um, we also really have quite a few folks who come to learn about church media. If you have been doing media at your church over the last year, and you've had a pivot to digital, particularly during the really difficult months of COVID, uh, you understand the importance of digital ministry, and maybe you want to come and learn how to improve that. Well, we have a lot of sessions and workshops with real professionals and real pros that can help you sharpen your skills in that regard, but also just to come and network with fellow people. We are in Texas, in the Dallas area at the, the Gaylord Texan there in Grapevine, June 21st to the 24th. We would love for you to come. I'll be speaking. Uh, I have some friends speaking. Paula Ferris, who used to be at ABC News. David French, who's at The Dispatch and was at National Review for a long time. Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, is going to be interviewed by Joel Rosenberg. Uh, and then we have, of course, uh, folks like Dallas Jenkins, who's the executive producer of The Chosen, as well as uh, Tony Evans, Mark Joe, president of Moody Bible Institute, and a whole lot more folks. We'd love for you to come. If you are a listener of this podcast, you can use a special coupon code called The Way Home 21. That's Way Home 21. If you go to nrbconvention.org and register and use that code, you get $50 off. Uh, the purchase price for the convention. We would love to see you there. Please uh, visit us and, and hang out with us in June, June 21st to the 24th, and learn how to be a really excellent Christian communicator. But now let's join our conversation with Scotty Smith and Russ Masterson. I'm glad to have on the Way Home podcast two really great pastors and authors and all sorts of things, uh, Scotty Smith and Russ Masterson. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Good to be here, Dan. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So, man, I don't know where to start, but I wanted to have you on to talk about a number of things. You have a new book out, which is kind of the catalyst for this. It's called Searching for Grace, A Weary Leader, A Wise Mentor and seven healing conversations for a parched soul. I want to start, I think, with Scotty Smith. Now, Scotty, when I was a young pastor and I was coming out of a, sort of an, an unhealthy church kind of system, uh, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to be? Who, you know, where do I go? I started reading your stuff at the Gospel Coalition. It was just great. And, I, you know, just the idea that you can be orthodox, you know, Christianity, take solid doctrine, truth, but also talk about grace so much was really a refreshing to me. So wanted to say that, and you've ministered to a lot of people over the years through that, uh, your writing and your, your pastoring. That's, uh, you know, that soundbite right there 
Dan just summarizes really so much of my journey. I'm so thankful that I, when I went to seminary, had as a, an initial advisor and professor, someone fresh into a gospel renewal that really began to connect for me. You know, here's the informed mind, the inflamed heart, the life actually in paradox being freed for weakness, not from weakness. So yeah. Yeah. It's been quite a journey. And Ross, uh, uh, you uh, have served on church staffs, church planner, you're a pastor now. How did you first encounter uh, Scotty Smith? Well, I'd read a couple of his books, and then I ended up at a men's retreat uh, with another church. Our church was in our first year of existence, so I was just up there with a handful of guys, maybe 20 guys, and then we were partnered with another church uh, at this men's retreat up in North Georgia in a barn, and we were there, and Scotty ended up being the speaker for the weekend, and as he spoke, um, it was resonating that um, not only did he know, like you said, the grace of God in a way that was, um, to me, it resonated. Uh, it was good for my mind, but even even more so good for my heart, which at the time was starting a new church, feeling extre- extremely exposed to uh, failure um, and coming kind of in contact with myself in a new way that was a uh, daunting. And he, he was moving in these streams of grace that as he spoke, I knew I wanted to head in that direction. Mm, that's good. And the title of your book is in, in the subtitle is a weary leader and a wise mentor. I'm guessing Russ, you were the weary leader and Scotty was the wise mentor. Yeah, surely not the other way around. Which <laughs> <laughs> day of the week we, we sit in opposite chairs. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Scotty, what if your hallmarks, you know, I think, you know, people read your writing and your books uh, or they've attended your church, but I think behind the scenes, especially in Nashville, you know, just kind of knowing the Nashville pastor relationships and everything is that you're kind of known as a mentor to a lot of younger guys and uh, an encourager. Uh, Just talk about that kind of, that kind of ministry. Is that something that has always come natural to you or something that the Lord just kind of put on your heart? Uh, over the last few decades, or kind of uh, just well, talk about definitely that. been more of a more of an emerging sense of providence. Uh, I'm a I'm an introvert by nature with extrovert gifts, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of not naturally the person that historically would pursue people. But uh, fortunately, um, in God's providence, having gone through a major burnout in ministry at age 50, and that just began really to put into place a journey towards some health and really looking at why, why am I so reluctant to let people really get close to my heart and what might it mean for us to simply be available to pursue younger leaders the, the, the way I would have liked to have been more fully alive at that age. So yeah, it's, it's been providence, not choice, gratitude for it, and uh, could not be more thankful. I, I feel like there's a lot of conversation right now about the, the pastor's heart and soul about um, pastor's soul care that I don't want to say it's new because obviously there's always been a need for it throughout the history of the church, but I feel like there's almost a resurgence of conversation about that. And and with it, I think it's healthy. Why do you think that is just because the pressures of this age on pastors are so great. Either of you could could answer that, but I'm, I'm curious it just seems like there's a lot more conversation about that uh, than maybe a generation ago. 
with that one thought then Russ, please jump in. Uh, you know, my generation is aging boomers and a lot of us did not feel the freedom early on to, um, to really to move more in greater congruence with what the gospel actually is, which is cheer up, you're a lot worse off than you think you are and cheer up, you're so much more known and loved than you ever hoped or imagined. So, so a lot of my generation coming out of our father's world of, you just, you pose and pretend, you know, you be strong and big boys don't cry. And I think enough of us train wrecked that at least at some level in vocational ministry, Dan began to create a bridge or an opportunity for uh, for people to say sooner, like Russ's age, et cetera, and younger now. I, I, I don't want to live in that aquarium of religious performance. Uh, you know, my, mar- my marriage is empty. My heart is empty. Uh, if I could do anything but voc- vocational ministry, I'd do it. So I, I think there's just been some uh, progression, fortunately, and some of us crying uncle that we might cry Abba, you know, you hit the wall, you're going to go somewhere. Russ, you're the weary pastor in this uh, subtitle in, in this book, but uh, just, I think, just maybe talk a couple of things. There, There's a sense, um, and I felt that too, just being um, 43 right now, like there's a sense that we, we're, we're hard driving. We want to accomplish a lot. We love the work we do. You know, if you're in the ministry, whether you're a pastor or a leader of a nonprofit or you're writing books or, you know, there's something that we love about the work we do and it's hard to say no to things or um, you, you feel like as a leader that spending time on your own soul seems a little bit, I don't know, selfish or whatever. So talk about the need for us to do soul care in that way. And the second part of, of seeking out a mentor who can kind of help us with that. Right. Yeah. Taking care of yourself is not selfish. Um, I mean, there's a line between uh, your coping and self-care. Like I, I can straight up comfort myself with six episodes of the office. Now that's not self-care at that point, because I'm definitely in a coping mode, but for me to take the same two hours and to care for my soul physically, emotionally, or spiritually, um, that's not selfish. That will only benefit um, myself being a healthier and whole person. And as well, um, my church and family, most important, my family. Um, I think when it comes to kind of like the weariness side to it is um, the pastor's job's incredibly complex. Um, I don't think, I don't say that to set it apart from other jobs, because I think other jobs have complexity too. And in general, complexity brings exhaustion. But when you think about a pastor's job, and I know about that job the most, because that's the job I have, um, you know, at times we run an organization and then we turn around and we're a priest and we turn around, and we're a counselor. And then we turn around, and we're a public figure. And then we turn around and we're a orator in front of a crowd. And that's very complex to all do in like four days. Um, or five days. Um, and so that just carries a certain amount of exhaustion because there's no way that we're good at all that, right? Like, so mm-hmm. we're ending up doing different parts of this job and there's just no way that we're good at all of it. And so we get worn down because of that. And I think other people who have other jobs that are just as complex in different ways, if they are in a complex job, they're going to feel that weariness. And you have to have places and tools and awareness of when you're feeling that, how are you going to get through it? 
Um, I think what Scotty said is right. It goes back to secure identity in Christ. I'm more broken than originally thought, but, you know, cheer up. I'm more loved by God than I can dare to dream. And that has to be the beginning that, that acceptance has to be the starting point. That's really good. I, I, I like the, um, you know, the breakdown of the chapters in this book, you know, you talk about running on empty, you talking to accept uh, about acceptance. So we talked a little bit about running on empty, but talking, let's talk about acceptance a little bit. You know, one of the things that's been interesting for me when I, when I turned 41, you know, when I turned 40, it was great. I felt like, I don't know. It was just like, it was weird. It was kind of like, I'm an adult now or something. I don't know. It was just, it felt good. 41. And I had a friend of mine who told me 41 is going to be difficult. And John Piper's talked about this. I don't know if you've read it, but that's kind of the age where men have a midlife crisis. Right. And he talked about, he had one and I kind of had one, not where I, you know, bought a Corvette or anything. I just was having a kind of like, who am I? What am I good at? What am I supposed to do? And I read a great book by, um, Kurt Thompson called the soul of shame, where he talks about being known by God and knowing God is the most important thing. And that was really helpful. Uh, so, so talk about acceptance, you know, when you're uh, a leader and part of what motivates us to, to be successful, right. Is the drive to prove ourselves, the drive to show everybody that we've made it, that we're, whether in a spiritual world, we're like, Hey, I've turned out okay. Or successful. So, Talk about those things and maybe the unique ways in which Christian leaders struggle with acceptance, maybe more than others. I think um, maybe, Dan, that's shaped a little differently for men than for women. A lot of Mm -hmm. times we men, uh, when we care about stereotypes here, we a lot of times we think of acceptance more in terms of what I do than who I am. And obviously in in scripture, acceptance is far more uh, relational category you know, connected to the longings God's placed within us that, you know, in, in time, those genuine longings are going to collide with how I've tried to find fulfillment. And I think for, for men who had been driven by performanceism and, and it still didn't work, you know, uh, you're going to go somewhere with that, right? So uh, acceptance, uh, I think for Russ and I, has been kind of the hallmark of our conversation journey is this can we risk believing that the God of the Bible is, is not expecting me to do something to put a smile on his face? Is it, could it really be the case that a lot of this language in scripture of a God that delights in the people, that enjoys them, that that's, that's not just metaphor, that, that you know, God intends for us to be known and, and, and not tie it to, let me go do something for you. So that, you know, really honestly, quite talking about here, how has many generations, my generation and others, just completely missed the gospel? What if the gospel actually uh, hasn't changed, but we just so uh, fit it into a culture of performanceism when it really is far more about the God who says, I do everything to make you mine and to bring you alive and, and to invite you into a story that I'm telling that's about restoration and beauty and you know the performing is over just enter the story so that's been a lot of what Russ and I for these last four and a half years have been exploring together. Uh, Talk about what it means about receiving and not achieving for a pastor for for any Christian really but uh, talk about that. Yeah you know we wrote this book a year and a half ago and then it got the publishing got 
pushed because of the pandemic. And so when I reread it um, just recently, it almost, it felt otherly. It almost felt to some degree, somebody else wrote it. And uh, I, I, that was quite a privilege really to read something that had been away from me for so long, because when I read it, um, I realized how much I need this. (laughs) Like I need, I need it over and over again, that I'm, I am not done um, with my just absolute toilsome attempts to try to get acceptance from anybody. I mean, and right now, Dan, it's like, if I can leave this conversation and you feel impressed by me, it's like, man, I feel like maybe I'm accepted in the world and justified. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and then what, what if we can sell a certain amount of copies, right? Like a certain amount of copies of this book is then maybe I'll be accepted. And it just shows you how endless this is. The first three conversations in the book, first one's acceptance, second one's about surrender, third one's about receiving. They all really tie together when it comes to, do we really believe we're already accepted? Uh, We don't have to be in control. We're relieved of achieving. Um, Can we stop self-justifying and believe that Jesus actually is enough, that, that our acceptance, that we crave so much, that I crave so much right now is actually free that I'm actually already accepted. And then what would that mean? Like, what would the implication of that kind of freedom be for my heart? Um, And that's, for me, um, I'm still interested in that question. Like, I'm still interested in knowing how free I could be in Jesus as I uh, come to grips with and rest more fully in what he's already given me. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And there's a couple things you know, I, I want to touch on a, f- a few issues. I mean, one of them is just, you know, the moment that this is, this book is dropping in is so important. The pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of these things, right? I mean, I, I don't know a year where I've heard from so many pastors who are just really tired, really burned out with so many decisions have, have had to be made, so many pressures on pastors from COVID to racial tensions to political tensions um, here in Tennessee, we've had natural disasters and all these things. Um, are you? I'm guessing you're seeing that in your work as well. That this has been a really difficult year for pastors. It's ramped up all the things that have always been there. You know, I hit my burnout in ministry in the year 2000, so pressures and all that stuff have been there, and the many that went before me. But yeah, it's been exacerbated, and, and along with the fact that I think. Uh, in the uh, commodification of ministry, the consumerism, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it definitely has been like a, 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 um, a zip file of all these things magnified and uh, the, the changes and people's expectations and, 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 you know, then bringing into that, you know, even the um, politicizing of everything and, and everything from wanting to take care of people and everybody's got an opinion about what a mask means or what science is. It's, it's, it's been, you know, I think it was Thomas Rayner last fall that did a survey and basically said of the people they pastors, they surveyed 70% said that they thought about leaving vocational ministry. Many were planning and, and most of those 70% would do it if they could pay for life. So, I don't think the numbers might be the same at the end of 2021, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's highlighted, you know, and, and um, the, the victory all, I mean, this has been a, a stretch where um, 
where even we who self-identify with Christ have been so mean and, and, you know, some level, those of us called to shepherd that orbit, you, you feel the intensity and you, 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 you get already emails and uh, anonymous comments. And when those get ramped up even more, there are a lot of guys we care deeply about that have been harmed greatly. And, uh, I think that's going to be a trend now that this culture's gotten ramped up even more with the racial stuff and all. And where, where will the gospel enable us to say, only by God's grace can we begin to think in terms of not fixing that, but seeing the redeeming presence of Jesus be so different in our hearts and our communities. Yeah. I want you to talk about vulnerability for a second. Um, because I think, you know, on the one hand, there's something about leaders, Christian leaders, particularly that I have felt, and I'm sure you see, and I think particularly in men where we kind of do put up walls and we feel like we have to, you know, we're in charge, we're setting the vision, we're being watched, we're trying to set an example. So the vulnerability piece is a little harder to show a side of ourselves that might not be as polished. Uh, and yet it's so essential to leadership, right? Um, on the other hand, we're we're kind of in a in a cultural moment where I don't know if you call it vulnerability, but we're kind of in a moment where there's a sort of performative, I want to say performative vulnerability. Like the more tortured and pained your story, the more easier it is to maybe go viral or get an audience, you know. And I'm not diminishing, you know, people who have genuinely painful stories and, and using those platforms to get that story out. And so how do, how do we as Christians really be vulnerable in a, in a, in a biblical way without also kind of having almost a, um, I don't know what to call it, but almost a vulnerability Olympics where it's almost like we're trying to top each other with, with, with some things like that. Do do, you, you know what I'm saying? I do. So for me, um, what I noticed with Scotty, because this is where I learned it was he, he was being vulnerable with me. He was being vulnerable with Darlene, his wife, with his children. So to be vulnerable publicly or in a book or to bleed from the pulpit, um, but you're not doing it in your closest relationships, that's, that would be performative vulnerability uh, because you're doing it to manipulate a group of people to, to be accepted. You're not doing it ultimately for healing and connection. Um, but the starting point for like this fifth conversation in the book, vulnerability is essential for healing and connection. The starting point for that is your relationships um, that we'd be willing to be vulnerable, you know, with the closest people in our life, with your spouse, with your children, with your best friend. Now, if we begin there, moving out from there, I think we have a much better chance at doing that with integrity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. And, Dan, let me mention one thing about that. So we make a distinction between transparency and vulnerability. I think part of what, uh, and let's see if these words help where you're thinking. To me, transparency as a speaker, a public person, is simply the ability to use data as a technique to do exactly what you said, you know, tears sell, you know, uh, trauma story sells. Well, you can be transparent and not really be vulnerable. Vulnerable is... It's obvious to people that are not you that the pain, the reality, the loss, 
has impacted you and, and you're not using it, uh, you're honoring it. And true vulnerability is not something I want to showcase. True vulnerability is something I don't have control over. And so the beauty of vulnerability is we see a lot more of that in scripture. The tragedy of what we've seen today in many ways, like you said, I love your image. I'll give you credit one time, then it's mine. But the, the Olympics of uh, performative vulnerability, that's classic. It, it's just, no, we're, 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 you know, we're called to feel this stuff, right? I mean, in the scriptures, that's why I have the book of Psalms. That's why we've got a lot more of the reality of, of doubt and tears and, 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 you know, and Paul writing in 2 Corinthians, despairing of life. That's not a technique. He despaired of life as someone that loved Jesus and served the church, right? So mm-hmm. we need and, more of that. And Paul was willing to tell other Christians he felt that way, right? If Absolutely. you think about it, you know, that's a letter to a church, <laughs> a church that he likely planted and was kind of seen as a, a, le- a leader of. Uh, he's willing to say, "Here, here's some hidden parts of myself, which is really... And the paradox there is beautiful. He, in that letter, he's being charged with sucking as a leader precisely because he's weak. You know, you got these super fossils coming in saying, hey, the, the guy can't see. He's not impressive. He's small. And Paul said, you know, Paul says, hey, that's what the gospel does, not as a technique, but, you know, I'll boast of my weaknesses if it brings greater glory to the one who alone is. Yeah, that's such a good word. Now, I, uh, the last part of, uh, I want to focus the interview on the last couple chapters, because I'm so glad you wrote about this. This is kind of a hobby horse of mine, but uh, first the unhurried, non-anxious spirit is true success. You know, that is something that I struggle with, you know, just someone who's working on a thousand projects at a time and family and, and all of that to just slow down and not be anxious. Um, We live in a very anxious world. I feel like because we get so many information inputs today, we have more room to be anxious, right? We know more news today about the world than we ever did, right? If, if someone's car gets stolen in, you know, 10 states away, I get an alert on my phone. You know, if, if you're not careful, you know, all this information, right? I, I know what the Kardashians ate three days ago because you get an alert on your phone, stuff that I don't really need to know about, but like there's, there's opportunities to be anxious uh, so much. So how do Christians really manage that in a world that is, you know, there's, there's a, there's almost a, um, a business model of, of, you know, cable news and social media companies that depends on us being anxious. So how do we resist that? Well, Sky and I both just try to take longer walks. I mean, yeah, I don't, <laughs> there's not much I can't worry about. I am really good at worry and anxiousness. I'm, I'm just, when I talk to somebody who doesn't know about those things, I'm just amazed. And I ask them a million questions. Um, so for me, this is, this is a question that's ongoing, um, including, uh, today. I mean, when I get off this podcast, I'm going to go walk in the woods and I know Scotty's going to go for a long walk too. Um, we both have to take extended time of stillness. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a busy, busy heart that's full of worry and anxiety. I have to go and become still before the Lord to remember I'm not in control of all these things. And it's okay. I don't have to be in control of all these things. I'm already the beloved. 
And just to remember those few things, um, I have a hard time remembering that in normal life. Um, I don't naturally go there. And so um, whether it's a traditional quiet time or whether it's a walk in the woods, it's just for me, it is about getting still, slowing my heart down to remember God's faithfulness. So you're saying that during that hour in the woods, if you don't know something going on, like the world's going to keep keep spinning. <laughs> like if Russ Masterson doesn't know something going on 10 states away and you don't have a, a public statement about it, the, everything's going to be okay. Is, is that what you're telling us? Yes. I have discovered the world is not dependent upon me. Is it? I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a, and, and yet I have to, I'm going to have to discover it tomorrow morning. Again, yeah. I will wake up thinking that a whole bunch of stuff is completely dependent on me. And the reality is, is I have some responsibilities, but it's not nearly worthy of the amount of the busy heart that I allow to give to it. Yeah. Well, and this pressure on pastors, right? To, I see it all the time that why are, why are pastors silent on this, whatever pastors, you need to rip up your sermon and change it this Sunday because this thing, this happened, which is weird to me because 20 years ago, I didn't know what some random dude five states away thought about a global crisis, you know, and all of a sudden there's this pressure. So, you know, resisting that seems not, not to say we put our head in the sands, right? Like there are some national moments that we got to speak to and things in our communities, but um, it seems like resisting that is important, particularly for, for us pastors and leaders, right? Well, and the paradox of that or the irony is we who, who would self-identify in the conservative world of theological formation and biblical view. It's like, okay, let's just take that document seriously because go figure Jesus, who's more aware of everything all the time, walks by need to go into the mountains to be with his father to his own disciples' confusion. So it's like, okay, we say it's about Jesus, but what does that mean? And, and, and did he and does he model for us uh, communion with God to be central to everything? And, and, and he does. And, and, there's just so much of scripture that if we take that seriously, we're going to realize it's, uh, you know, God can raise up stones to praise him. He can speak through donkey's butts. He can float ax heads. We matter, but we're not the point. And it's just so delightful to know that we're always going to be little Davids in a stream with pebbles. God points out to take down Goliath. So get over it. Guess what? You know, the story will happen with you or without you. Good news is God delights to use us. And, you know, to me, that's the beauty of self-forgetfulness and a, and a bigger view of the story and not just the verse. So so we have a couple minutes left. I really love the last chapter. Normal can be extraordinary. And I just, this is like a, as I said, a hobby horse of mine. One of the things I've learned, you know, I've been going to church my whole life, right? Since I was like, really since I was a kid. Uh, you know, even before, you know, it seems for me, what has been most formative in my life are not the big moments. There are some of those moments, right? The, the revival moments or the sort of camp meeting where you walk forward, give your life or, or a, a great sermon you hear at a conference. I can probably think of half a dozen that have really impacted me, but mostly it's been week in, week out, ordinary, ordinary church services, sermons I probably have forgotten, but it fed my soul. And, and I really like the fact that you focus on ordinary, uh, particularly when you're talking to pastors and leaders. I think there's a pressure on pastors that every week has to be the week, 
has to be camp meeting level, has to be revival level. And this is the week. I feel like pastors that do that not only exhaust the congregation emotionally, but exhaust themselves. So talk about the formative nature of our spiritual disciplines and the kind of daily routines built up over a life. For me, when I think about this, I think it too in part, I think about exactly how you laid it out in terms of so much of normal life can be extraordinary, um, that finding God in the ordinary, finding God in the mundane, learning to actually walk with God. Um, I mean, I ran errands just before this podcast and I went to Home Depot and it just like a great hour, like, and like, and that should be like that being able to do incredibly ordinary things, um, as we do them as spiritual people, um, can be extraordinary to be able to just walk with the Lord day in and day out, um, in a moment by moment way. The second way I think about this normal can be extraordinary is about us that if extraordinary only exists for people who accomplish extraordinary things, then we've just limited who can be extraordinary. That is so deflating um, to me. Um, and it's just not true because I keep meeting people who have very normal lives. You start talking to them and they're extraordinary people. And I keep meeting people who have done kind of like quote unquote extraordinary accomplishments in the world and you get to know them and they're like normal people just like me and you. And they happen to have like something happen and something worked out. Um, so I think the more we can remember that the fact that most of us are just incredibly normal, that's an okay thing. Like it's okay to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord in our normality. Yeah. Just a couple of things in conclusion. It's just remarkable informative to see that Jesus is going to draw attention to a widow's might, not a big, capital campaign. I mean, there's there's just the smallness. How much in scripture happens around food? Just a table gathering. You know, just the rhythms. Why is it that David writes more than one psalm saying, creation declares God's glory. Are you, are you listening? Do you see the color green or did you forget what green means? You know, so the, the normal, you know, uh, it's, it's the Mother Teresa saying, you know, do little things well with love. It's it's uh, Eugene Peterson uh, say, you know, the quiet heart is the profound heart, you know. Hey, get over it. There's no fourth member to the Trinity. And so just these rhythms that are everywhere that some of us have got to start saying that um, that church subculture hasn't got any clothes on. It's the emperor that needs to be exposed because really, our future is not going to look like a giant orgasmic spiritual conference. It's life in a garden world where we're serving each other and building and being creative and celebrating God's faithfulness through the centuries of bringing an every nation family into a new earth in which we are living in awe and servant love forever. That's really good. As we close, I would love for you each just to give a short encouragement to any pastors or Christian leaders or, you know, weary lay people, moms, whoever is listening, who's just kind of running around crazy, but needs some encouragement. If you could do that, that would be a great way to close, I think. I'll go first so Scotty can close us. We wrote the book for weary people. I don't know how much, I think it has something to say for everybody, but weary people are found everywhere in all different areas of life, whether exactly like you said, whether a mom or whether you're running a big, huge organization. I think the encouragement to me is what the entire 
book was about, which was based on years of me coming to grips with the more alive I'm coming to God's limitless love for me, the more alive I'm coming to that, the more consistently I'll experience his peace. So it is about coming alive to that love, which I already am given in Jesus, um, which is an incredibly restful and powerful position to rest ourselves. Yeah. And I would just add to that, not on top of it, but by way of saying the same thing, there's only one who has said, I am making all things new. You know, uh, Jesus actually is, he's got this one and that one and, and doesn't make us passive. It makes us his. And to be able to know that if our weariness is attached to, uh, you know, a, a performatism, if, it, if, if our fears and anger actually revealed, we've made things more worthy than Jesus. The good news is Jesus died for all of our idolatries and calls us to freedom and healing. And, and, and he intends a core of peace for us, not a sanguine naivete, but just in the be- not doing anything for him, but everything with him. And that has been so terribly freeing for me that uh, I matter, but I'm not essential. Hallelujah. You know, it's just good to know his love is that big. I love that. Well, Scotty Smith, Russ Masterson, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you both for the work that you've done and want to encourage folks to get this great book. We'll have links to it in the show notes, but thank thank you, men, for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Dan. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Thank you.